It's now a time when we prepare to hear God's word, but before we um, listen to God's word, I first wanted to set the stage for this season of Advent. Advent is this four-week journey toward the eve of Christmas on which we celebrate the birth of God in Jesus Christ. It's a season we called Advent, and Advent in Latin, Adventus, means arrival or coming. So it's a four-week season when we as the church and followers of Jesus remember the story of God's people, God's people Israel, who waited, as our beautiful choir anthem just uh, depicted and, and proclaimed and sang, how they waited for God to arrive and set right what was wrong, to mend what was broken, and to heal what hurt. And in this remembrance throughout this four-week journey, it allows us to reflect on the ways that we wait for God to come and heal what is hurting and to mend what is broken. Particularly for us over the next uh, couple weeks during Advent, we're going to be focusing on, on what it means to wait, but focusing in such a way that it's not just passive waiting during the season of Advent, but really active waiting. And we're going to focus on active waiting by looking at two themes, and that's lament and hope. Lament and hope. Today we're going to be focusing on, on both of those, touching on both of them a little bit. And then next week, in week two of Advent, we'll be diving more deeply into what lament looks like as an active expression of waiting. And then in week three of Advent, we'll be really looking acutely at hope. So with that in mind, with that scope of what Advent's going to look like for us, I'm going to offer a, a prayer of illumination so that as we approach God's word to listen to it, we might uh, have our eyes and hearts open to hear and see what God is saying to us. Let's pray. Lord our God, you are always speaking to us, speaking good news and the truth that you always wish for us to learn and live by. And I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit might come and be within us and around us and leading us in this moment, that we would hear your words for us today. Prepare us to be good soil to receive your words of grace and truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I, um, sorry, Alan. Alan's going to come up in a moment to read this passage about Habakkuk, but I just wanted to provide a one word about what Habakkuk is. It's a word about lament, the scripture passage from the Old Testament, a book that was written 600 years before the birth of Jesus. And so in this passage about the Old Testament, this prophet Habakkuk is living during a really difficult time in the history of Israel. The wealthy and powerful are corrupt and using the things that they have to push down those who have not. The priests have prostituted themselves to other gods and ways of, of the world. And it's leading to this decay in these people and their lives. And so Habakkuk laments. He offers this, this grievous uh, heart offering of what's wrong up to God. 
God, why does it seem like the, the evil ones in this world and evil ways win out over the faithful and the righteous? He clamors to God to be accountable for this in the way that God manages the world. And so, as you listen to this passage about what Habakkuk is saying and offering a lament to God, I pray that you might receive it and listen to it as a way of seeing that waiting for God to act isn't just about idle waiting, but actively offering up to God words that describe what we're going through and the mess that we wish God to mend and fix. So let's listen for the word of the Lord. particularly important passage for the Rhodes family this week, as well as some friends of ours. My friend Bill that we've been praying for over the last months uh, did pass away this last week, and we celebrated his life this week. And uh, after those celebrations, we'd gather for fellowship, and people were asking questions like, why do these kinds of things happen, happen to good people like Bill? So this is the kind of setting in which you come to Advent so, from Habakkuk, the first chapter, verses 2 through 4. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack, and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, judgment comes forth perverted. And then uh, the second chapter, verses 2 through 4. <clears throat> then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. It seems to tarry. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. And then the third chapter, verses 2, two and 17 to 29. O Lord, I have heard of your renown, and I stand in awe, O Lord, of your work. In our own time, revive it. In our own time, make it known. In wrath, may you remember mercy. Excuse me a second. Though the fig tree does not blossom, and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails, and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exalt in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. Here ends the reading by the word of God for the people of God. May God add his blessing to it and his inspiration to our hearts in this Advent season. Amen.
Our next reading is a reading about hope. And it comes from the New Testament in the book of Revelation at the very end. Now, what you, what you might not know, or what you might know, is that between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's just one page in our book. But actually, in reality, there's 400 years of time that passes between the Old Testament and the New Testament when Jesus comes. That's longer than our country's been in existence. That's a long time of waiting. We turn to the New Testament now to hear a reading about hope. And a hope that isn't like, oh, gee, I hope this happens. I hope the world becomes right again. But it's a certain hope because what God has done, because Jesus has arrived and done something definitive to redeem and rescue this world. And so when we say we hope, it's certain that Christ will come and set things right. And so when you hear this word in this passage about the new heavens and the new earth from chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God, and they will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said this, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today we heard two passages, one about lament and one a passage about hope. And as we focus on lamenting things that have gone wrong and being assured of hope that God will make them right, I want to do so with a mindfulness of the table that's set before us in our midst. The Lord's table set in front of us is a simple table, simply set with bread and wine and even an Advent wreath for today. But it's a table with great meaning, and it's a table that always remains the same. So as we think about lament and hope, I want to reflect on tables 
tables that you've sat at in your life and throughout your life, perhaps once or many times. As we think about lament and hope, I want to reflect on the many tables in our lives, tables that have perhaps changed over time and given reason for lament. But I want us to come back to the Lord's table that always remains the same and always offers us hope. For me personally, there have been so many tables in my life, but outside of my family's own dinner table, there's been one that kind of sticks out in my mind as one I think about most often. And perhaps this one table is more about the event than specifically the table, but bear with me for a second. It's my family's dinner table at Christmas Eve. When I was growing up, I looked forward more than anything else to Christmas Eve. I pined for the day, and I think perhaps it was because of the sense of excitement and buildup, the sense that something was going to happen soon. Christmas Eve was always spent with my dad's family, and I remember my sisters and my family and I getting ready and piling into our car and driving to either Detroit or Windsor, Canada. Essentially, my dad's side, to give you the backstory of that, my dad's side would trade off between the United States or Canada, going to Windsor every year because we spent time with our godparents. Um, a connection of deep friendship my grandpa Santner had um, with a guy named Frank Safranios, a fellow Hungarian, uh, when my grandpa made his way over from Hungary during the Cold War to North America. And so we started celebrating Christmas Eves, um, trading off between houses year to year. Either way, we would arrive for Christmas Eve at one of those houses, and upon opening the door, I was overwhelmed by this tidal wave of delicious aromas. My grandma and her brothers had been hard at work all day making Hungarian sausages and other meats and dishes saved for but once a year. Over the next couple hours, of course, my sisters and cousins and I would run around the house with excitement, trying to distract ourselves from the intensification of hunger pains and the pointless wonderings about what would show up underneath the tree the next morning. And at some point, my dad would come around with these little morsels of meat on a plate and serve it to us. I always thought as a tease, because I was so hungry, but apparently it was this like foretaste of the, of the feast that was to come. Now, finally this hour of eating would come, the table filled with succulent meats and wonderfully cured pickled veggies and a plethora of starches that would just weigh you down in any seat you sat in. And of course, there were more bubbling pots of stuffed cabbages and peppers on the stove because it couldn't all fit. It was such a plentiful table. A wonderful table that was a tangible sign and expression of the richness of that day and that wonderful eve of Christ's birth. I love this evening. And yet this glow of untouched perfection at this table in my youth didn't always last. At some point, the beautiful experience of the table and table fellowship began to change. And I can't exactly remember when or how that started, but change it did. One of the first changes I remember was the empty seat where my grandpa would sit, and then the seat where Frank sat. And soon my dad 
was one of the elder males there due to the loss of his dad and friend. I remember years when I went away from college and then came back and would sit next to my sisters who seemed like completely different people, and I'm sure I seemed completely different to them. But it was the first bitter taste of life's fruit of growing apart from family. I recall years during seminary when I would come home and my dad would ask me to say grace, the privilege of being a seminarian, I suppose. <laughs> and as I shut my eyes from this extravagant feast, I remembered people I served in the church in Grand Rapids, people that were just hoping for the bare minimum of having heat in their home and for whom any amount of food would have been a bonus. And so the prayer before the meal began to expand from just friends and family to pleading to God for those whose stomachs or homes or lives were empty. And then as of recent years, I've braved the midnight ride back to Michigan, which you always warn me about. You all love me and care for me so much. Right after the Christmas Eve service, and I've sometimes wondered as I've driven how they felt as they took note of my empty seat. And this was kind of the final marker of how things had changed at that meal. Now, I mentioned this Christmas Eve absence from my family as a segue into what Bill Ports reminds me of often, and maybe you've heard it too, that the one constant in life is change. Life comes with change and leaving behind certain things so other good things can take their place. Tables we hold dear or sacred in life can change for the better, surely. Like how my Christmas Eve table has changed so that I could come here to be your pastor and one of your pastors. Change can be a good thing like when a new couple has to call a summit to figure out which family they're gonna be with for Thanksgiving and Christmas in hopes that there's no fallout. And yet, there are experiences where the tables of our lives change. And we not only lose the joy of what once was and the bliss of that experience, but hope of seeing what the future holds. Take a moment to think back over the tables you have sat at, at your life. Tables are such an important thing because they bring us together with, with so many different people. They're a fixture of our unity and communion. So when change happens, it can disrupt and be traumatic for so many reasons. Imagine you think back over tables kitchen tables, dining room tables, cafeteria tables, and see so much. I imagine there are spaces around those tables in your life that were once warmed by loved ones, but who are now gone. I imagine that there are rifts between family members which have caused deep wounds and make sitting at tables deeply uncomfortable. I imagine all the people personally, who don't have tables and rich fellowship and food on their plates, or who have left 
their family tables behind to travel to other places where they might be able to find a better life. Perhaps it feels to us as though there are tables in our lives that are a lot lesser than what they once were, or perhaps are shattered and no longer set with joy and a rich feast of fellowship, but are tinged with a certain bitterness. And so we long and wish and wait for something to be different, for something to be fixed, for God to come and arrive and change things and put things right again. Just like Habakkuk longed to see something different and who in a faithful response cried out to God about what he saw. Their experiences in life, so to speak, the tables in life where loss begs for lament and we need to enter into that expression in our life. Experiences where being faithful is about crying out to God about the way the world is and how the way the world is isn't what God promised it would be. The tables have changed. And yet, for however much these tables in our lives have changed and given rise to lament, there is another table set before us. The Lord's table. It's a simple table, simply set with juice and bread, but a table of great significance because it is a table that always remains the same and always offers us hope. A table that is not ours, but has become ours because God has decided to make us God's own. You are God's own, and you are welcome at this table because of God's invitation. This table of communion, of the Lord's Supper, is one of the sacraments in our church. A sacrament, remember when we were learning about baptism, is a visible sign, a tangible sign of invisible grace. I like to refer to it like, uh, sacraments are like a hug, right? A tangible embrace that communicates what we cannot see. I love you, I miss you. In this way, God welcomes us to the table so that we might know God's embrace and love, and affirmation, and welcome. And it's a place where God offers us hope amidst what we've lost and the things that we lament. And God offers us three things. God offers us the hope that God remembers us in our story. God offers us the hope of communion, a beautiful communion we share in the present. And God offers us the hope of a foretaste of the future feast we will share. So God here offers us the fact that we're remembered. When we come here, we say that we remember the way that Christ died for us, that he offered him whole, his whole self and his whole life, teaching and loving us and showing us God's love and offering himself on the cross. And in the cross, we not only see God wrapped in humanity to be united with us, but God going even more deeply into our experience as humans to suffer what we suffer and to know our experience of grief. And so I want to say that whatever loss you've experienced, whatever grief you have, whatever ways in which you see your life is broken and you are giving rise to lament, lament that God knows that story and remembers you. And that's what we remember here. And God remembers your story and your pain and is with you in that. 
So remember that God remembers you when we remember this feast. When we come to have this feast, we also celebrate the hope of the beautiful communion that we share. I love the, the diversity and the wealth of people that we have from different life experiences that we bring in here. And we all come, and we come around this table, and it's God who's invited us here. And we not only share this feast here with one another, but we share it with so many people around the world today. Many different skin colors and political persuasions and sexual orientations. People who are, are, are lawmakers and migrants. People who have made it and who are has-beens or feel as such. People who have and who have not. All joined and brought together here by the one Lord that we love. And so when we come here and share this beautiful communion, we're invited not only to take of this, but, but make sure presently that we are sharing of it and sharing this community and working to maintain this communion and this unity. And so maybe part of, of what we need to do presently is when we see things that we lament in our lives or maybe things that we're lamenting within, is we need to, 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 to reflect on how we are relating to, to one another. Am I causing harm in the life of one another, another person? Am I doing something that keeps somebody from feeling like they can experience this table? And if that's so, maybe we need to deal with that. Maybe we need to offer an apology and work toward reconciliation in order that all might come here and experience the full experience of joy and fellowship and unity. It's a hope of togetherness and the beautiful communion that we have because of God. But lastly, the last hope that we have is the foretaste of a feast we'll one day share. I read a passage from Revelation about a, fee about a time when God will make all things right and set all things right. It's a time when so many people will be welcomed in heaven and on earth to sit around the table of the king, around Jesus. And when we take this feast, it's kind of like when my dad would come around with those little morsels on that plate and offer it to us so that we could take it so that we would know that the feast was soon coming. It wasn't to, to make us, you know, mad or anything like that and to hold it over us because we were so hungry, but it was to assure us that there was a rich feast coming. And so when you take of this, we take of this as a morsel of hope of the feast we will one day share in heaven with God and with so many others. Let's pray. Lord God, we give thanks to you and pray that in the season of Advent, we might learn the posture and the persuasion of lifting up to you lament. And in our waiting, find the hope that you hold out before us, the hope that you remember us in our grief, that you bind us together in a beautiful communion with other believers, and that you always hold out to us something that assures us that you will come and come soon. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.